we've been studying the subject of discipleship in our adult class. Uh, the reason we're doing that is because we, as a church, we'll be reading a book, What's the Mission of the Church, that tells us that the mission of the church is to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all people groups. And, uh, and the book does a great job arguing that, but never gets to, and this is how we do it, so that's why this series is, is in place here. And we saw that discipleship is the constant process in which a Christian is helped by the covenant community to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he becomes progressively conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and can in turn disciple others. So discipleship is done in the context of the church. Sure, we can have parachurch ministries like Navigators and um, RUF and um, Camp, uh, I guess they're called Crew now that may come along, but discipleship is ultimately a Bible study fellowship, but discipleship is ultimately to be done in the context of the local church. It is to the church that the Great Commission is given, and it becomes very explicit that is done in the context of the church when one of the one of the elements in making disciples is baptizing them. And baptize, baptism is not given to the parachurch. Baptism is not given to the family. Baptism is not given to the individual. Baptism is given to the visible church of Jesus Christ in its local representation. So discipleship is something that should be happening in the church among people, uh, the people of God as they practice all the one another's of the scriptures. Um, there's at least 56 or so, 54, 56, one another's in the Bible, which about, or in the New Testament, with about 44 being unique one another's, like different kinds of one another's. There are some repetition, and the one another that's repeated the most is, want to guess? Love one another. It's the most repeated one another in the scriptures. So this is a very important issue. That's how we grow in Christ. Uh, we saw that in Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 11, going through verse 17. We've seen that in Hebrews chapter 3, where we need people in our lives because we all have blind, uh, sin blind spots, and we need each other. Uh, Hebrews 3 says daily uh, in order to point us to Christ and to overcome sin. Again, remember... Discipleship is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what, so discipleship is an aspect of sanctification. Is one way that God accomplishes sanctification is by our being ministering to one another. And we also saw that uh, discipleship, uh, Christian, and dis- the word Christian and the word disciple are synonymous. You can't be a. It's not like you're a Christian and then you become a disciple. That both words are used interchangeably. As a matter of fact, the word disciple. Is an older word for a believer in Jesus Christ than the word Christian. Uh, in, the, in the Gospels and the book of Acts, that's the favorite word for a follower of Jesus Christ, is a disciple. It's interesting that we, the word Christian is, is so popular today, so, so used, and yet in the Bible it's only used three times. And every time is a pejorative word is what the followers, the disciples of Christ, were being accused of, or of being Christians. Which is interesting, most titles in history are given by the opposition. You know, people don't self-title their movements. The opposition 
decides how that how they are going to be called. We also see that it uh, th- that discipleship is a dynamic activity. What I mean by that, I mean that you are a disciple and you are a discipler all the time. Thus, we are after disciple making disciples. That's what a Christian is, is a disciple-making disciple. Somebody told me that they were in a conversation recently with another, uh, some people from another denomination, in which they really, really disliked pretty much everything I've said so far, as far as ministering to one another outside of the context of the uh, formal Lord's Day worship. And as we've seen, discipleship flows from the Lord's Day. Discipleship cannot be done apart from Lord's Day worship, but there's more to it that happened uh, throughout the week and throughout the months and in life and so on. So that's, a, that's, why, that's where we are. And a couple of weeks ago, we learned that in order to understand, we learned that discipleship also happens in families, in marriage. As a matter of fact, that's one of the primary places where discipleship is happening is in the nuclear Family and the discipleship happens in marriage, and that the husband and the wife are discipling each other and being discipled by each other. And we saw that in order to understand marriage as a relationship in which discipleship takes place, we need first to understand the overall roles of the husband and wife in marriage. And we started by looking at the role of the wife, and at this point, you might say. Okay, time to turn off my mind. It doesn't apply to me. Um, so, nap time. Uh, I'm going to just do embroidery uh, because I have 10,000 squares to finish um, instead of paying attention. If you're tempted to, this, that's your mindset, repent it right now, of it right now, and pay attention because everything in the Word of God is profitable to you. And remember, if nothing else, you're called to be a discipler. And you need to be able to know what the Bible says concerning things in order to be able to disciple others in that, those areas. So please don't turn off your minds. Please keep your minds focused. I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to turn to three passages, Lord willing, today at least, um, as we consider this subject. Ephesians 5. I want to read just uh, three verses. Ephesians 5, we're going to read verses 22, 23, and 24. So Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So we are looking at the role of the wife as as a discipler of the husband. And in order to do that, we need to, to understand the role of the wife as the submitting partner in marriage. The first two things I'm going to say should be review from the last time we were together in this subject for Sunday school. And the first thing is, in verse 24, you see that the command to submit 
means that the wife will defer to her husband in everything. Now, there, there will be exceptions. We're going to look at it in a moment. But that's the general category. The wife submit to the husband in everything. That's one thing we saw last time. And then we also saw that implied in the command for the wife to submit is the command for the husband to lead. Uh, it's, it's hard to submit to a leadless institution. So in the, in the command for the wife to submit, the opposite command is given to the husbands that they must lead. Lead goes beyond saying whatever you say, honey. Lead means, as we're going to see in future Sunday schools, being like Christ and leading your wife like Christ leads his church. All right, any questions so far? So far, so far, I have not said anything new in this series. Okay, so let's look at this submission, the manner of the submission. How does it look like? And the first thing we see is it's a willing submission. Even though in the New King James, the translation that we use here, doesn't show the word submission is written in such a way that means submit yourselves. It's a willing submission. It's not something that uh, the wife is forced to do. It's something that she does willingly. It's, a, it's a, what's called a, a middle voice verse, verb. It's a reflexive verb. It's submit yourself. Do that to yourself. Submit yourself willingly to your husband. Douglas Moo, in commenting on this, says submission suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. And as a wife, submission should not be something that you are forced to do, but something as you do willingly. In verse 22 says that you submit as unto the Lord. And your submission to the Lord is willing. And that should be the same with the wife as well. Any questions on this idea that uh, submission is a willing submission? The, 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 the second thing, the second way, the second manner of submission is that this is a Christian submission. That is, it is submission that shows your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, in the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 says... Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's how the submission looks like. It's a Christian submission as it is fitting in the Lord. A submissive wife is consistent, that is, is fitting with whom Christ is and what he did for her. So there is no such category in the scriptures as an unsubmissive Christian wife. Unsubmissive Christian in the Bible, as far as the wife goes, are contradictory categories. There's two different bu buckets. You can't be in those two buckets at the same. They have be submissive Christian, submissive wife. There, submissive and Christian go together, according to the Scriptures. John Calvin says, "Wives cannot obey Christ without yielding obedience to their husbands." Is this, uh, uh, and I think that's very true from the Scriptures. You cannot obey Christ. If you're not submitting yourself to your husband, if you're married, you can't divorce the two. You can't have a yes, but. 
uh, I was talking to a couple this past week and explaining to them, and they already knew that, that the word but is magical. It has the power to erase everything that precedes it. Right? So when you say, yes, uh, yes, I agree, but... Do you know what that means? That you don't agree with anything that went before the but. So keep your butts at home. <laughs> My wife is not here to shake her head. <laughs> but Tini is, so there we go. <laughs> the, the expression especially here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. The expression as fitting in the Lord also means that the husband is not the ultimate head of the wife. Christ is. So the husband has no right to tell the wife to believe or act contrary to what Christ says. And this is very important as far as discipleship goes, and we're going to take a look at that in just a second. For example, the husband cannot ask the wife to do, uh, to do things that are contrary to the word of God. For example, the husband cannot ask the wife to worship false gods. She would be, if she does that, she would be not submitting to Christ. The husband cannot ask the wife to, to worship the true God falsely. Those two points are making, made in Deuteronomy chapter 12. She cannot submit to him because to submit to him in that will be to fail to submit to Christ in, in that. The wife cannot submit to the husband if he encourages her to be involved in sexual immorality. She would be, uh, she'd be defiling her submission to Christ if that's what he asked. Uh, the wife cannot submit to the husband in lying. Right, that's, again, it would be forsaking her submission to Christ if she did that. The wife cannot submit the husband in murder. And you get, wow, that is extreme. I mean, we all know that. But there's some nuances to this idea of murder or preserving life or furthering life, as our catechisms say. For example, this includes that the wife cannot submit to her husband in physical abuse to her or to her children by the husband. So, if the husband's beating her up, her job is not to just take it quietly. Call the police. Get the jerk arrested. Get the coward arrested. Call the elders. Let's get things going here. Let's, let's minister to him and to her and to everybody involved because she's not called. To submit to that is to, let, is to not submit to Christ. Because all that falls under the murder command, the big umbrella of the murder commandment in the scriptures. She's not to submit to her husband if, she, if he wants to commit robbery. And you say, oh, okay, that's obvious too. You know, if my, my husband has me a mask and tells me to go into the bank, and I, I'm not going to do that. But there's other ways to steal, right? Uh, that's where the larger catechism is so, so helpful. Because the, the, it, uh, it helps us think of Perhaps we don't have to agree with all the categories, but it gives us categories to think beyond the most literal way of thinking about robbery or murder or, or, or bearing false witness. So take a look at the, the, the questions in the 120s 
and 30s and 40s in the larger catechism. So it is a, it's a Christian submission. Now, in, in all these are just and a simple. There are other there are other things that the wife is not to do because if she, if she did that, she would, be, she would not be submitting to Christ. Having said that, I do plead with you to not try to fit everything that we don't want to do under a category that I mentioned here or others. If you have to take more than 12 steps to connect what you don't want to do to a sin, you may have gone too far, right? Uh, 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 theologians use the language of a straight line issue or jagged line issue. If what the husband is asking you to do is a straight line sin issue, then you know that. If, if you have to do a lot of mental uh, lawyering to justify why you shouldn't submit your husband, look at your heart and see what, where it is concerning that. Any questions before we continue on this one? Okay, so the wife's submission is also a specific submission. Oh, there it is, a specific submission. In, um, in Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A wife is to be submissive to her husband, not to every man. You hear, you hear me that? The wife is supposed to be submissive to her husband, not to every man. She does not owe any special submission to other men just because she's a woman. The Bible does not teach that. Okay? She is to be submissive to the civil authorities just like any man is. She's supposed to be submissive to the ecclesiastical authority, the church authorities, just like every man is. She's only called to this kind of submission that we're talking about to her husband. Well, and she's at her dad's house that also um, applies there. Um, but we're just talking about wives at this point. Any question about that? It's about being a specific submission. All right, this is also a respectful submission. We see that in verse 33. We didn't read verse 33, but it says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's a respectful submission. She doesn't gossip about her husband. She doesn't portray him in a dark light unnecessarily, and so on. So she respects her husband just because of his position. Not necessarily because he's a respectful person, not because of what he does necessarily, but because that's what she's called to do. Any questions before we continue? All right. So this is all super easy. Right? It just happens naturally to every wife. Right? Uh, it's just something that you do. Like, you wake up in the morning, and the first thought in your head is, how can I respect and submit to my husband this today? Let me make a list of 15,000 ways in which I'm going to do that today, and I'm going to practice every one of them, starting from the first minute I get out of bed. It doesn't quite work that way, right? That is it fair to say? No. Why? Why is that the case? If that's God's design for marriage, why doesn't that work that way? Look at me. 
that's yeah. true, that too, but not, that's not the primary yeah. reason. Sin, yes, there we go. Our Sunday school is very basic. Sunday school answers work. Sin, Bible, Jesus, all those, those answers uh, work. But yes, the curse that God placed upon the woman as a consequence of the fall makes submission an unnatural attitude that only those who have been redeemed by Christ can have. Genesis 3.16 says to, this is God speaking, and he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And I just wanted to focus on that last clause. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Everything else is somewhat self-explanatory. The pain part, all the women that had children understand that um, the, 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 the one is the multiplication of conception as a part of the curse. That's something that needs a little more study. But we just focus on that last clause. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That, this expression doesn't mean that as a result of the fall, the woman will desire her husband more. God's not saying, and then you're just going to, you know, um, to pine for your husband, and you're just going to desire him more, and you're going to have... No, that's not what it means. It actually means that her desire will be for the role of her husband. She's not going to be satisfied with the role that God's given her. She will want the role of her husband. She will not be... Um, satisfied with God's design for her. She wants to take over his position. And that is the natural tendency of the sinful heart. That's, that's the natural tendency of this. And that we're going to see with the husband. That's true of the husband too. And shall, he shall rule over you. God's not saying as a result of sin, you're going to be a Christ-like figure and you're going to rule over your wife like Christ. No, it's, uh, he's going to be a jerk, a tyrant. And it, that's going to manifest in two ways. Either being an authoritarian tyrant or an abdicator where he does nothing. And the wife has to be the one who makes all decisions and all the leading and so on. So a deadbeat husband makes it difficult to, for a wife to submit. A sinful husband makes it difficult for a wife to submit. But ultimately, the biggest enemy of submission is her own sinful heart according to the scriptures. And that's why only a regenerated heart in which the Spirit of God dwells is able to practice the sort of submission that Paul describes in various places, but specifically Ephesians chapter 5. Any questions? At all? Okay. So, having strongly taught on submission, strongly said that the Bible teaches it, and that you're sinning if you don't practice it. I've said all that, and I say amen to it. Now I want to talk a little bit about the dignity of women. Because we have to talk about those two things hand in hand. The wife's submission to her husband is not an expression of inferiority. And that's important for us to keep in mind. The most profound example of submission is the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus came into the world in submission to the Father, but at no time was he inferior to the Father. So husbands, if you at any point believe that the, the, your wife is to submit to you because you're superior to her, repent. 
you're sinning. That's not true. It's a, a lie, it's a falsehood from the pit of hell. You're not superior to your wife. Okay? The voluntary submission of our Savior to his Father is designed for a specific purpose. But at no time was he in a position of inferiority to the Father. It was a functional submission, not an ontological submission. Meaning, it wasn't because the Son in and of himself was something less than the Father. It was just different roles that the Trinity agreed to have in order to accomplish God's plan. So the wife's submission to her husband says nothing concerning her essence, only concerning her function. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, which is interesting, that this, what I'm going to read, just precedes the instructions to the household, in which he says, wives, submit to your husbands. In Colossians 3 verse 11, it says that in the gospel, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That is, there's no essential difference, difference between those that are regenerated by the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all, they're all sinners in need of salvation. They all are regenerated the same way, and they have the same glory in the sight of God. Um, I think it's Luke, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. You can... You can fact check me on that. But but in that chapter, you have three parables. You have the parable of the lost sheep, one in a hundred, and the parable of the lost coin, one in ten, and the parable of the lost son, one in two. And at the end of each passage, it says that the the saints in heavens, the saints in heaven celebrate, God with the host of heaven celebrate in the repentance of one of his children, right? And it's the same celebration whether it's a male or a female. They have the same worth in the sight of God. They have the same, in essence, in the sight of God. Peter makes sure that husbands understand that. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, when he says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Why? As being heirs together of the grace of life. Co-heirs of the grace of God. No essential difference between them. So with regard to our standing in Christ, there is no difference between a man or a woman, a husband or a wife. All are equal partakers in the benefits and standing secured by the work of Christ. But marriage is a partnership in which we are called to different roles. In other words, man by virtue of being man is not better than woman, and woman by virtue of being woman is not better than man. Are you hearing me that on this? I need, it's like sitting on the exit row on the airplane. I need verbal confirmation that you are hearing the instructions on how to operate this relationship. All right. The, this teaching on submission, that the first half of what I said here, has often been used to put women down. But we must teach it rightly because it is good. It is a blessing for both men and women. And alongside with the goodness of submission, we also must affirm the dignity of both men and of women. We need to affirm the dignity of being a woman. And you think about it, our society that claims to be so woke 
actually does the opposite. Our society says that anyone can be a woman. You don't have to be a woman to be a woman. You can't, anyone. There's no dignity, there's no, nothing special. Even a guy can be a woman. That's what society teaches. And yet the scriptures say there's dignity in being a woman. The Bible has a high view of both men and women. We are both created in the very image of God. And we were created as the very image of God as man and as woman. And you change that and you try to cross that. You're no longer acknowledging that you're created in the image of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible speaks of man being generally incompetent without the woman. Do you realize that? In Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then brought before him entirety of creation. And there was nothing in creation that would do that. And then what did he do? He created, did he create other human beings? He created a specific human being, a woman, not another man, not a, not, not a robot, not a you know, sentient being of some sort, but a woman to make creation very good. And when we change the dignity of the woman, when we change the nature of that relationship, then we are just changing the whole nature of creation, and we're deciding that we are God and not God, which is really what our, our woke society in general, has decided that it's, it, it is God, not God himself. It's interesting, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus went out of his way to elevate women, it, their dignity, her dignity. Uh, um, a few, uh, last month, no, to, in that March, Andrew preached on the woman who washed Jesus' feet, Right? I think it was last March, the last month. And Jesus, the, the people said, ah, don't you know, she's just a sinner. No, she's been redeemed by Jesus Christ, she's been redeemed by me, she has dignity. In John chapter 4, he goes to the, to the woman at the well. He could have ignored her. As I was standing in the seminary, they, she, he, he, he could have seen her come and pull her, his little pocket scroll of Isaiah and start reading instead of uh, interacting with the woman. But he talked to her, something that nobody would do. For she was a sinner, and he talked to her. So our Lord himself goes out, went out of his way to elevate women. So our God, who only gives us what is good, has designed marriage so that the husband and the wife have each unique roles and functions. And the function of the wife is of submitting partner who follows her husband as the body follows the head, and all the grace that you need to obey that command has been given to you already in the cross of Jesus Christ. You, the, Christ doesn't have to die for you again in order for you to submit to your husband. All the grace you need is available in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now that we have received, reviewed what the role of the wife is in marriage, we can move to considering how discipleship looks like in a marriage from the wife's perspective. So, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the wife as a discipler of her husband. 
It's interesting that the passage we read this morning, Ephesians 5, verse 24, says that as the wife submits to her husband, she shows him how he himself must submit to Christ. Right? Because in this picture, in, in the analogy, in the illustration he uses, Paul uses, of Christ and the church, ultimately, where is the husband? He's in the church. He is the one following Christ. He's the one submitting to Christ, right? Uh, ultimately, theologically, that's where we are. We all are the bride of Christ, the church. We are part of the church, right? So in, in practicing biblical submission, the wife is teaching the husband what is also his call in submitting to Christ himself. So she's discipling her husband in how Christian submission to Christ looks like as she fulfills that, that role as well. Another key passage in thinking about how the wife can be a discipler to her husband is 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you, if you have your Bible and want to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Look at verses 1 and 2. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Just a, a, a quick note here. When it says he might be won, doesn't mean that he's going to be saved without any words. It means that he's won to, there's a softening of the heart. He's one to her Christian practice. He's not going to forbid her from going to church. And he might even ask now, what is different about you that you are behaving that, that way? But if this is true of the unbelieving husband, how much more is it going to be true of the believing husband who has the Spirit of God working in him? The wife's piety, the wife's godliness, will have a profound impact on the husband even to the point of softening, softening an unbeliever's heart. She submits to her husband like the church submits to Christ. She fears the Lord. She reads her Bible. She walks with the Spirit so that she will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, as described in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. And if she does that, she's discipling her husband in godliness as well. It's interesting that several historic reforms well-known theologians have made the, the, a, a statement like this, that the souls of many children have been won on the knees of the mothers. It's the piety, the godliness of the mother that often leads kids to know Jesus. And that's true of the husband, as well, of the wife as well, as she disciples her husband in her own piety. So how can I help my husband follow Christ more closely? Be a godly woman. That's how you help him do that. Oh, but he, he, really, he really gets mad at me when I, I'm trying to be godly. Well, that's the thing. He's not mad at you. He's mad at Christ. And Christ will win every battle. You don't have to worry about, about that. 
Because again, remember, your godliness is not unto her, your husband, it's unto Christ. So regardless of how your husband treats you, you're still going to live a pious life because you're doing that unto, unto Christ. And, and, and God uses that to disciple your husband. And she did minister to her husband by her godliness. So look at verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with terror. So she ministers to her husband by her godliness, and Peter rounds back to submissiveness once again. What matters is the work of the Lord in her heart. And her peaceful demeanor, the gentle and quiet spirit, her peaceful demeanor will draw her husband to Christ. So that's one way to disciple the husband is to be gentle and quiet in your spirit, to have a peaceful demeanor, to, to not be a quarrelsome woman. Proverbs 21.19 says, Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. 26, Proverbs 26.21 As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Has anybody here watched... 2001 in Odyssey in space. You have to be pretty old to have watched. Okay, then. All right. There, there's a computer. Hal, I think that was the name of the computer in the movie. And it was super, you know, state of the art stuff when it comes out. It was the computer is the size of this room and, and so on. And, but Hal had a very calm voice. Don't do that, Dave. I'll kill you if you do that. <laughs> That's kind of how Hal spoke. That's not how God calls the wife to be. I remember somebody, it was just, it looked, anyway, it just looked unnatural. She would talk to her kids, and I'm about to spank you. Quack, quack, quack. That was for your good. That's great. I don't know I could do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, the one says a gentle and quiet spirit. The, the Bible's not saying wife just be this emotionless, you know, subdued, no, no personality sort of person. But don't be the kind of person who is always creating strife in the home. Don't be a nagging person. Don't, you know, follow the Lord, and that is a way to disciple your husband. In one last passage, really quick, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. And then in verses 19... Through 20, it says that uh, all, the, all creation came before, came before man. In verse 20, it says, 
at the end says, but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Nothing else in creation was that help. And then in verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep for, to fall on Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from, he, had, uh, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man and marriage was instituted at that point. And uh, she was that help meet, that helper suitable to man that no, not, was not found in creation anymore, anywhere else. It's interesting, I bring this up because this word helper is only used outside of here as to describe the kind of help God is to us. Like when you think our God, our help in ages, ages past, that's how the rest of the Old Testament uses that word, God being the, the, the help. So the woman has this unique capability to help the man. No other man can do that. No other creature can do that except for uh, the woman. The woman is a divine help to her husband. And it is the kind of help that furthers the man's calling in his life. So the wife disciples her husband by being this kind of help that only God can provide, by being the means through which God helps the wife, the husband, in pointing him to Christ and keep him accountable in ministering to him in those ways. So the wife is a helper, and in being the helper, she disciples her husband. Any call, any questions? All right, so let's pray then. Father, heaven, thank you that you have instituted marriage as a place of discipleship. Help us as husbands and wives to be faithful, to be disciple-making disciples in our marriage and in our families. And everywhere we go, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.